Welcome to the Knowledge Institute podcast, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Today, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccination drive and why it's lagging behind expectations. I'm Jeff Cavanaugh, head of the Infosys Knowledge Institute, and today we're here with Eric Paternoster, president and CEO of Infosys Public Services. Eric, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. How is the COVID vaccination program different from others, like the flu vaccine that states are familiar with? Well, the other vaccination programs that all of us have encountered as we were growing up and and what the states and counties in the U.S. have been involved with are, you know, they're used to much less time pressure. They only have to cover 30 to 45 percent of the population, except for a few very specialized ones like the new Shingris vaccine. They only require one dose. And it's just the whole coverage that we're looking for, the dosing regimen. It's like a whole order of magnitude different for COVID than it is for flu and other things that our whole system's been set up to work on. You know, there's a series of administrative protocols that vary by which one of the vaccines that you're using. So there's a lot more complexity. And unfortunately, the systems that that were in place that work fine up till now are not really set up to handle that level of complexity. Eric, you graduated from West Point and served as captain of the U.S. Army, and thank you very much for your service. Sincerely mean that. Leading infantry units in Korea and the U.S., it does seem like it will take that kind of military precision to distribute this vaccine. Why do you think it's been so difficult for states to get the vaccines off the shelf and administer to people? Well, Jeff, there's a few reasons. First of all, military is set up under a totally different structure than, you know, our healthcare system in the U.S., which is very decentralized. There's a lot of different stakeholders and decisions are delegated to a much greater extent than they might be able to be in the military where you could control things. But there's a couple of reasons. First, you know, because of the way this hit us, And because of the decentralized nature of the system, there wasn't a federal mandate at the top that laid out all the rules for, you know, who got the vaccine, when did they get it, how the allocations would happen. So this led the states and counties, even in some cases, come up with their own rules for it. Second, you know, by the guidelines for the distribution of the vaccine, they want to make sure because it's in scarcity right now that only certain providers are giving the vaccine that we know will not waste it, will give it to the right people in the right way. So there's a registration, qualification, and authorization process that has to happen for a provider to be allowed to give the vaccine. You know, third, not everybody can get to the place that is going to be you know, giving the vaccines. If you, you know, have pop-ups set up for, you know, a certain tier of people eligible for the vaccine, you know, the people have to have a means of getting there. This is a problem with elderly and firm people. It's a pro- it can be a problem in rural areas where you don't have this, you know, healthcare system infrastructure necessarily out there. So that's another issue that's there. And I'd say finally, you know, there are a lot of logistical hurdles that exist with this vaccine. You know, you have the multiple shots required, you have the different cold storage requirements, and you have a certain amount of time between shots that cannot be exceeded. And that's another issue. So I think that those are some of the main reasons why this has turned into, you know, such level of complexity and why there's some of the frustration that exists. It reminds me, apart from the the human element, as well as economic impact, this is a classic centralization, decentralization issue. The decentralized aspects, you're close to the edge you're close to the people who need it and you're flexible, yet at the same time, there's an extreme level of efficiency needed as well. 
Here in the U.S., the Biden administration has said it will move heaven and earth to vaccine 100 million people in 100 days. First, do you think it's possible? And second, what do you think the new administration should do to speed up vaccine distribution? It is possible. I think that we have proven just, in fact, by beating the estimates for how long it would take to develop a vaccine, of getting two to three vaccines online available you know, within four to five months of starting the R&D process, when most people in the beginning, you know, even some of the experts in public health were saying it would take a couple of years to get through the development of vaccine based on prior experience that, you know, the, the vaccines were brought out fast, and I think we can distribute them faster than what we've seen to date. Some of the confusion that I just mentioned is, is going away. The tears are getting more understood by people. The supply chain is expanding to handle the demand. I think now we're dealing with specifics on how to reduce waste. So I think that, you know, we're already doing, according to New York Times, about a million doses a day across the country. And I think that we have the distribution capacity and the supply really to at least double that. You know, as long as the Pfizer and Moderna manufacturers, you know, continue to meet their uh, supply agreements, which there's no sign that they will not be able to do that. I think that we can more than double what we're doing right now in terms of how many doses are being administered a day. If we look back to the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, that really lasted for three or four years. Everybody thinks of it as 1918, but it took a long time to die out because that was the age before vaccines. There was, you know, a debate that went on for a long time about whether it was a bacteria or a virus even causing it. This is going to be around for a while. And as it continues to mutate, it could get worse. Although, you know, the general trend is that the mutations will weaken the virus over time. There's also some serious mutations that can occur. That's why some of these guidelines and follow through on these things are important, even after the immediate crisis is over. And, you know, we get down to tier four, tier five in terms of, you know, the number of people who have been vaccinated. So we do need to build off of the strategy and make the execution better. That's really what really has to happen at this point. And then we need to learn from this, unlike maybe not applying the lessons well enough from SARS and the other ones that we managed to put the rest fairly quickly. We need to realize that pandemics are something we're going to be living with inevitably with globalization and with how connected everyone is now. You know, it's not going to be a local phenomenon. They will quickly spread worldwide and we need to put this infrastructure in place and be ready to scale it up permanently, not just be caught like we were this time, where our public health infrastructure had really not evolved very much from some of the mass public health victories that we had, like eradication of polio and other things that we did in this country that were great. I think that, you know, we need to have more of a public health infrastructure maintained to be ready for the next one of these that happens. Two points that come from that. One, the innovation process is messy. And I think it's just on full display now. So obviously the messiness is captured and, and shared a lot, even though a lot of good things are happening. Second, hopefully this also shows the government and business can be effective and a force for good. And like you said, provide a template so that we can respond even more quickly and with more resilience in the future. States are already using systems to manage the COVID vaccination program or the vaccine program. What are some system limitations they're seeing and how can governments build or enhance their capabilities? When you set up a tier, it's targeted for essential workers. 
But then if the state can only get a hold of a fraction of what the essential worker population would require, and then you want to move on to the next tier while you're catching up on the first tier, that creates a whole level of complexity in terms of trying to never leave behind people that got missed for one reason or another in when they were originally planned to receive it. You know, maybe because of capacity, it might be because of misinformation, but whatever the reason, you have to have a way to catch up. And the existing systems are pretty linear in how they're set up. I think that the foundational capabilities have to be improved also, not just in registration and scheduling, but I think in provider enrollment. We talked about that a little bit earlier. One of the most important ones is in citizen outreach. There's a lot of misinformation that's out there about vaccines in general, but particularly around COVID, there are a lot of rumors. A lot of people get their information from dubious sources now. And I think the governments having a source of trusted information that's kept updated and distributed very timely will be key, I think, to being able to have a much better response in later phases of this and and also the next time that something like this happens. There's, you know, other aspects that, you know, are outside the core system, uh, such as the inventory management, the analytics, the digital passports will be something that's added on fairly quickly. But, you know, eventually there'll be things like contactless check-in and mobile enablement. There's opportunities for some of the new technologies that we're very familiar with in other areas, like, you know, Internet of Things and uh, blockchain technologies for could be applied for this cold chain inventory management and distribution and that I think will be added in as we go also. So I think that having something that's modular that can address the most important issue that a particular jurisdiction is dealing with is also a very important aspect of the type of system that, you know, a state should be looking to implement if it doesn't have everything covered. What's Infosys doing to help governments be ready for the COVID-19 program and deliver it rapidly, safely, and securely? Well, besides uh, working with some of our existing healthcare and pharma clients in terms of working on their supply chain and working on their basic, you know, healthcare information systems that are healthcare systems and insurance companies use in this country. We also have gone beyond that. Starting in August, Simplus, Emphasis Public Services, and uh, Salesforce Corporation have combined forces to develop an end-to-end vaccine management solution. And that is intended for governments to be able to build, implement all the necessary capabilities quickly and be able to more effectively administer COVID-19 vaccination programs. We had started working with the state of Rhode Island on contact tracing and got a lot of understanding, both in terms of how this uh, the Salesforce technology would work in a COVID setting, as well as you know how other governments were dealing with this problem. So we looked at the scale of this and the different areas that you could tell were going to become bottlenecks. So we basically took all these experiences and we used it to build a cloud-based digital vaccine management solution. We have pre-built modules for proactive advocacy campaigns, resident enrollment, prioritization, screening for eligibility, vaccine scheduling, and all the data reporting requirements that are going to continue to increase as the Biden administration rolls out uh, more details around their strategy and, and also all the state reporting requirements that already exist. Also very interesting, we have an integration hub that connects 
with existing immunization systems. Because like I said, a lot of them were already out there that did various parts of this overall problem. So there are things like VTRAX, VAERS, and the CDC has an immunization gateway that they've built. And so we have a integration hub to hook into that easily that's also in our solution. So the, this solution is totally modular. Being cloud-based on a modern technology platform is how we were able to do this, that you can deploy the entire platform or you can pick certain issues that you want to solve by picking certain components of the platform. And then you can, within a couple of weeks, put the foundation for those immediate issues. Like scheduling is one that we've had a lot of discussions with jurisdictions about that continues to be a problem. And so our scheduling module could be dropped in in about two weeks to be able to help improve the scheduling problem, you know, for a whole state. Two weeks. That's amazing. It's actually exciting to hear that the technology is not just to help inventory or not just to help something in a back office, but to help human beings in a very important, important area. COVID-19 vaccination will not be a one-time program and the duration of immunity still somewhat unknown. What's your view on how this entire program will evolve and how should a solution like this or any that's helping evolve to support it? This is not going to be over with you know, the full rollout of this vaccine uh, for this variant of COVID-19. First of all, these vaccines are approved only for emergency use. There was quite honestly compressed clinical trials and testing. Very fortunately, the results from the tier one healthcare workers and first responders that have, bulk of which have been getting vaccinated for the last month, there haven't been very many adverse, serious adverse effects noted that calling into question the efficacy of these emergency use vaccines. That's a very good thing. But there are unknowns because of the length of trials that were done in terms of, you know, how long will the immunity last? Will they affect pregnant women to any effect? Will there be any new adverse reactions that weren't noted during the clinical trial process? There will be some inevitable confusion where different vaccines might be mixed and matched, especially if we figure out over time that the vaccine loses its potency and, and we have a new variant of COVID-19 next year that requires revaccination, you know, will we be having to put in a new vaccine or will we just have to readminister the existing ones? So there'll be a lot of things around dosage levels, frequency that will go through fine tuning. And even with existing vaccines being suitable to be continued to be used for you know, all the different variants that will come up until this is, you know, pretty much goes away. The uh, trials are still going on in parallel. And so they're working, for instance, to come up with versions that do not require cold storage, which would greatly simplify the supply chain. And, you know, I mentioned the mutant varieties that are coming out there, you know, the so-called UK strain that was first detected there. And then I read over the weekend about a South African strain that's Different from that, there's a fear that it has, you know, higher degree of fatality associated with it. So we're going to have to be ready for these new strains and have pretty much continuous R&D regimen going on to keep checking these new strains against the existing vaccines that are out there. We have a problem that's going to be with us for a long time, and it will run beyond this year of 2021 for sure. But we'll continue to improve. The vaccines will be updated. Processes, policies will be put into place. And we will figure this out. We are hoping to 
continue to see improvements in how the entire process works end to end. And we're intending to keep our solution updated to be able to be relevant to however this unfolds over the next year or two. Eric, what resources do you recommend for people that want to learn more? What I mentioned about the Biden administration's national strategy is actually a very excellent, comprehensive look at the entire COVID-19 problem in all of its aspects. So there's a, on whitehouse.gov, there's a, a national strategy for COVID-19 response and pandemic preparedness that can be downloaded. And I would recommend that for anybody trying to look at the breadth of the entire problem and all the different things that we'll have to work on in order to have a complete solution. And then we've published uh, an ebook in emphasis called The Complete Guide to COVID-19 Vaccine Management. So I think that that's actually a pretty good supplement, I think, to relate some of what's in the Biden strategy to what's being done on the ground right now today. And then the, the Knowledge Institute has a, a paper on vaccination at speed, scale, and security that I think is uh, very good, too, for planners at every jurisdictional level. How can people find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and also Eric underscore Paternoster at Emphasis.com. Everyone, you can find details on our show notes and transcripts at Emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Eric Paternoster, thank you so much for your time in a highly interesting and very timely and important discussion. No, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Thanks to our producer, Catherine Burdett, Christine Calhoun, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing. Keep sharing.